0: Hey everybody, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is the show where my guests and I discuss what piece or parts of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shout out to all my returning listeners and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. The month of May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month or APAM, and is meant to celebrate and reflect on the history and peoples that make up our beautiful diaspora. As part of that reflection, This month, I'll be sharing nine conversations with friends and folks I greatly admire in the community as we discuss those missing pieces of the Asian American conversation. What we know, what we might not know, and what we can do about it. These are the APAM conversations. My guest today is a queer, non-binary, black and Asian writer, dancer, trumpeter, and community organizer in New York City. They are known for founding the Blasian March, a black Asian solidarity initiative through education and celebration. And they also hold a bachelor of the arts in ethnomusicology from Northwestern University. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Rohan Joe Lee to the show. Hey Rohan.
1: <laughs> Hi.
0: <laughs> How are you doing today?
1: I'm I'm good. I I always freak out when I hear my bio. I'm like is that me? Like- <laughs>
0: i resonate with that so much because i feel like i've been hearing mine a little bit more lately when i go and be interviewed on podcasts and it's it's strange to me to feel like i have things that even could be listed off as things that i've either done or i am so it's it's
1: such like an out of body experience i'm like oh did i do that am i really that person am i that bitch i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and then in comes like imposter syndrome you know like no you are that bitch girl don't worry about it (laughs) a
0: hundred percent a hundred percent that imposter syndrome is so real like i just as i'm doing this project and as i've been doing working on this series i feel that i've been feeling those pangs of imposter syndrome like am i supposed to be doing this and then each time i have a conversation it's like oh this is exactly what i'm supposed to be doing like Mm -hmm. i am here to do this work so i totally resonate with that um Again, really appreciate you taking the time um, to sit down with me for this conversation. And I introduced you a little bit, but before we dive into that uh, conversation that we're going to have, if you don't mind, would you share a little bit more about yourself uh, for people who may not know you who might be listening to the show right now?
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Like you said, I'm an organizer. Uh, My main focus right now is around... Um, building Black Asian solidarity for our community. So the Blasian March is an entity that basically builds that through one education on parallel experiences with um, racial injustice, colonial state violence, um, settler colonialism, as well as mutual celebration of our lives. Um, we started during the lockdown of 2020 and since then we have expanded to um, New York, New Haven, um, Chicago, Los Angeles, um, and there are folks in other cities who are working on other projects. So it's 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 amazing. It's beautiful. It's it's terrifying <laughs> to be like, oh, this thing I thought that'd be a one time protest has now just turned into like this conglomerate thing (laughs) she (laughs) is definitely outgrown beyond my expectations um so like apart from like the marches we also have um community fridge filling programs where we fill community fridges also hand out like educational information um uh in collaboration with our partner organization asians for abolition which i also co-founded back in 2020 um and then these past two years, well, this year and now last year, we started a new program uh, called the Blasian March Book Fair, where like we hand out free books from Black and Asian writers to kind of like build solidarity through storytelling. Um, but yeah, that's the Blasian March. Myself, um, my writing, I write poetry, fantasy. Um, I also work as a journalist on the side. Um which is all on my website, which you can be for free. Famous <laughs> <laughs> so, plug there. Um, and yeah, as a dancer, I work mostly in ballet, but I've done musical theater. Um, these days, I'm more focusing on art that kind of fulfills my vision as, mm. as, as an activist, as an organizer. Um, and it's been quite the adventure um, since letting go of a lot of expectations around what dance should be like for me like what should my dance career look like and now I'm kind of just like honey thanks to my activism I've already danced in Europe Mm. Um, which just wasn't even a possibility in the usual audition cycles which are very much under a white male gaze about who even gets into the companies so (laughs) I was like it's fine it's totally fine (laughs)
0: well I appreciate you sharing that and you talked about this vision that you have can you talk a little bit about that what is that vision for that you see in terms of not only your activism but what you do and bring to it from that dancer perspective as well
1: sure um I think for me it's it's like I really hope that we can go back to the ways of our elders, the ways of our ancestors were like, the only way we made progress is through collective work, through Mm -hmm. solidarity action. Like so much of our history is dependent on solidarity, cross-racial solidarity, organizing, um, solidarity across class, across citizenship, across disability, across gender, sexual identity. Um, And so for me, I, I keep thinking, oh, well, as one person i can only do so much in this mm-hmm. lifetime and what can i do right now and for right. me as a black asian the best thing i can do is to reestablish those ties between our communities that have been very specifically erased by um white society by white miseducation, by these structures that now we are fighting for. Like this whole fight for Asian American history and public education, that's a lot of undoing of erasure. And erasure is a structure that white supremacy relies heavily on in order to keep us separate. So,
0: One of the things that really drew me to you at first was just how like how important that message and how much at the forefront that message of solidarity across communities was. And I I feel like I came and I found your profile specifically in the work that you've been doing. And I was like, they are having these conversations and, and coalition building and doing the things that I'm only just now starting to like feel in my mind is what needs to be happening And so you specifically have been such a inspiration to me to have those conversations, not only with my community broadly, but here locally as well in Indianapolis. So I just wanted to affirm you in that and the work that you've been doing, because you are inspiring people left and right with what to do. And I count myself lucky among those people. Um, So I'm really excited to be able to dive into this with you today and talk about, again, the point of this series, the APAM Conversations, is to address that specific missing piece or what missing pieces we aren't talking about but need to be talking about right now. So I want to ask you, what do you think that is? For you, specifically from your perspective, what are we missing from that conversation around Asian America that we really need to be making sure is included every time we're having that conversation?
1: Mm. Oh, that's such a great question. I really think that one thing we really need to look at is how that erasure is contributing to our internalized self-hatred as a community. Mm. Because I think a lot of times as Asian Americans, because we don't know our history, we are organizing from a place of, we think we're starting from scratch. We think we are building community from scratch which i know for a lot of us where we come from second gen first gen diaspora experiences that is something to be to be held um, in conversation and that also gets you know conflated with other folks from other diasporas coming into the americas and so we have to like almost like rebuild over and over and over again there's a constant struggle there But I really do think that because we don't know our history, there is such a deep, we don't know who we are as a people. And I think that contributes to a lot of the internalized hatred that we have for ourselves as Asian Americans. And that manifests as um, scarcity mentality, um, where we are constantly being like, well, we have to have something. And, you know, 2021... For some people was like this is our time to like
0: Mm.
1: you know be visible when it's like but we have this long history of visibility right you know we, we don't talk about civil rights era through a lens of asian american history or thinking about grace lee boggs who was a chinese american woman who collaborated directly with with dr king multiple times um we don't talk about kiyoshi kodomiya who was an openly gay japanese american who marched with King on Selma when King was assassinated. Um, he helped watch the children in 1980. He was also at the Black Panther Party convention and was the openly, only openly gay panelist there. And that was also the year that Fred Hampton made a speech in solidarity with like the queer community with, for women's rights. And you know, there's just so many points where I'm like, but you see how critical asian america is to civil rights history how critical asian america is to social justice history and because we don't know these things we we cannot build a well or a story that creates asian pride mm. you know we're always trying to we're talking about it's it's a we're so proud to be asian but it's like what does that mean
0: right what right. does
1: it mean when we don't know who we are we don't know our history we don't know what we've survived um and so, because of that, there is this odd scarcity mentality I've I've seen that comes with that internalized hate. Um, so, like for example, uh, last year there was a rash of anti Asian interpersonal um, anti Asian violence towards specifically Filipino Americans. Mm, okay, and so several filipino americans here in new york were like we should do something about it yes it's like it's the time we finally have this attention because we all know how media cycles cycle on and the story gets forgotten even though the anti-asian violence is continuing and um, when i was pulled in to like organize collaborate be a speaker there was a point where they literally were like for not, they cut me from like any list as a speaker. They cut me wow. from like all these things because you know they didn't want to cl- include Black Filipinos, and you know I was told something on. I was told like you know we should aim for what's feasible at the moment. when it's like, see that 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 internalized hatred has now also translated into anti-blackness. It's translated into hatred towards other communities, and that limits Asian power.
0: Right. Right, because we're not working together to right. to build, or not only to build new, but to build off the foundation, like you said, of the people that have come before us to know mm-hmm. our history, to know this work, to know the folks that have been involved in this work as well. It makes me think of my upbringing as a Korean adoptee. In my proximity to whiteness and how i mm. really internalized that self-hatred and self-loathing for a long time and i've been telling the story recently but the abridged version is when i was at purdue i was in class one day and an asian girl came up to me and she was speaking to me and i was still deeply rejecting my asian identity and she was speaking in a language i didn't understand and i kind of waved her off and was just mm. like i don't want you know "I this is uncomfortable for me and i think about that moment a lot because i think about how not only was that re- my self-rejection deeply harmful to me but yeah. it then manifested in external harm to other folks who are even within my own community and diaspora and so and and because i had no idea i didn't know what it meant to be asian i didn't know anything about asian american history i didn't know what it meant to be adopted you know there's all these different things that i didn't know about and you talked about the erasure specifically being a tool of white oppression white supremacy specifically and how it it forces us almost to internalize that really negative viewpoint of ourselves and to operate from a place of scarcity. I feel like in these conversations, at least half of them, we've talked about scarcity mindset and (laughs) how, how detrimental it is to moving forward, not only as an Asian American diaspora, but as a, like a, a, a complete group, a, a cross racial cross community solidarity group that moves forward together Absolutely. in order to try and, and do something better, to do something new, to replace these systems that don't work for us with ones that actually do. And I wanted to ask you then, based on that erasure, you know, how do we as Asian Americans, as an Asian American community, mm-hmm. focus on combating that? You talked about obviously educating ourselves, knowing our history. Where do we start, especially for folks who come to it later in life, who maybe yeah. right now are just like, in their forties or fifties and who are like, Oh, I actually need to know this, but where do I begin?
1: Mm. I, I, well, if you have access to internet, um, Google is, is free right? Um, unless you're trying to research the Palestinian experience, which case that's a little more complicated. Um, I really like from, well, for myself, cause I can't speak to my experience. Um, for me, what was really powerful was starting at the beginning of what is your story as an individual. Mm. So like even if you don't specifically have direct roots, there still is a diaspora community that you're stepping into that you have inherited. So like even though, for example, my Filipino roots um come through Barbados, thank you, colonization. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so many things oh gosh give us our gold back
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, and everything you took um you know I it still was really powerful for me to look into the Filipino American experience and I mean I like to read so if you don't read you can always look up documentaries there's so much film that tells stories as well but uh, for me it was really pivotal was having filipino american literature because mm. it's very it's it's it speaks very specifically to that diaspora experience so like for me it's like as asian americans we should take the time to really do that in-depth research and from that research gather what have we survived um, and what have we accomplished as a people Um, I mean, I always go back to Gracie Boggs, and that brings up me being Chinese-American and how I'm so proud because I now have this legacy. Um, But then I also get really angry when I think about, um, you know, the L.A. Chinatown massacre, the Mm. Rock Springs massacre, um, this very direct oppression of Chinese folks because of demand for labor, um because of xenophobia, which are things that we still see today, right um <laughs> demand for labor, yet we don't want the people doing the labor
0: i makes sense math, in that equation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the math math and honey <laughs> so for me it's it's always I take the time to really like find the roots, find as much story as you can, and it keeps the well keeps getting uh deeper and deeper the more you dig like i it took me so much more research to find that even like in the late 1800s there was um for example the the spanish trade of um goods from you know southeast asia into the caribbean Mm -hmm. which they call the manila trade um but what they don't say no galleon trade sorry um, but what they don't say is that they were also forced migrating Filipinos to do that labor as well, mm. um, which now historians are calling unfree labor because it's not – there's not enough evidence to say that they are brought over in chains the way African people were. Sure, but there's still a level of this is not consensual. <laughs> like, right.
0: right, 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 right.
1: There's still a form of human trafficking here that is just like not okay. Right. Um, but then – the amount of resistance history how filipinos actually fought their way free of the spanish and like fled into places like louisiana where in the same area they built community with like indigenous folks um there's an area in louisiana called Jean st malo and that's where a lot of filipinos were and it was actually named after um, um uh an african slave rebel who collaborated and like with people in the area, which include Filipinos. So like, there's so much resistance history that's like not being told on purpose over and over and over again. So to me, it's like really taking the dive and being open to stories that come your way.
0: I love that. Uh, Being open, especially because again, as I mentioned before, you know, people might be coming to this later in their lives and it feel, it can feel insurmountable. I started this at 30, like my journey at 30 and it felt insurmountable for a really long time. But I loved what you said at the very beginning about you have to or a good piece of advice being starting at the beginning of your own story. Because like you said, you know, you're entering into this community that you're already a part of. And it's maybe a little bit easier in that way, because you can see stories that maybe resemble yours or stories that you can resonate with, really. And you know, build from there, but also having to be open to learning that because obviously there's generational um, divides, generational beliefs and ideologies that are probably being carried forth as well. And at the end of the day, understanding this history, educating ourselves is one of the best ways that we can combat that erasure. And so the other side of this coin is the people outside of the Asian American community. Um, We've talked a lot about already in the very short time about just that cross-racial solidarity specifically, Um, and then how whiteness specifically moves against us, not only Asian Americans, but all communities of color or communities of historically marginalized identities. You know, they're working actively to erase those things. How do communities outside of Asian America help to support and continue to address that missing piece that erasure piece that's happening because of one other dominant group or the specifically quote unquote dominant group
1: that is such a good question because i cannot tell you how many times non-asian activists i have worked with have participated in that erasure mm. you know it's like i went to so many protests back in 2020 and you know you would see so many asian americans as safety, as the medics, doing all the logistical background work. And then you see leadership being like, thank you, white people, for coming. Thank you, Latinos, for coming. But Mm. no one mentioned the Asians. So there's... I think non-Asian people need to give space for Asian Americans to tell the stories as well. Because we, we are so conditioned to erase, so conditioned to invisibilize. We are so conditioned to view asian americans as a model minority Mm. when as we all know that was built in the 60s specifically to separate japanese americans from black people (laughs) because like that came that term came out um right after the wave of black and japanese collaborations um so a lot of japanese americans who survived the internment camps wound up You know, like Kiyoshi Kotomiya, like Yuri Kochiyama, um, who was a dear collaborator with Malcolm X. When Malcolm X was assassinated, she was the one who ran to him and held him as he was dying. Um, Richard Aoki, who was with the Black Panthers, literally was a Black Panther, even though he was Japanese-American. Of course, that's also controversial because some, uh, I believe the (laughs) FBI, released that he was an informant, but... Mm. Whether or not that's true, we can never tell, given the FBI's work to dismantle the Black Panther Party through Cointin Pro. So all that. Um, So I I think for a lot of um, non-Asian folks, it's really important that we also do the work in learning that history to appreciate Asian America's contribution to social justice, Asian America's contribution to civil rights, and I think non-Asian folks need to recognize that Asian Americans were critical to civil rights movement. I mean, for example, a lot of Japanese Americans were a part of writing legislation that is affirmative action. You know, there, there's so many things. Um, Filipino Americans and Mexican Americans, when they collaborated for the grape, um, the Delano Grape Strike, you know, that was a huge shift for labor rights. Right. So, you know, I, I think a lot of non-Asian folks need to undo that erasure by learning this history, too. Right. And recognizing that, yes, Asian Americans have a legacy of resistance. Asian Americans have a legacy of social justice.
0: What I'm taking away, especially from the answer to both of these questions, is not only is the self-education piece incredibly important, but I think there's room for us to do it together to grow and learn together, as opposed to I mean, we obviously have to do our own work on our own individually. But I think there's so much space for us to do this together. So instead of feeling like we learn about some some other group, and then go and try and be like, Okay, here's what I know about you, and getting it maybe wrong, or just just not maybe approaching it appropriately. There's space for us to do it together where we can like, make mistakes, but in a place of, of safety, in a place right. of collaboration, in a place right. of accountability, I think. Right. And, and and that accountability piece is something we've been missing for so long. As somebody who sits at the intersection of Asian and non-Asian communities, how have you seen that change over the last three years, particularly from your perspective as someone doing this on the ground work
1: mm. like, daily? Yeah. Um, so one thing I definitely noticed, which makes me really, really sad, um is a lot of black Asians coming out to me as asian mm. which i i found that really heartbreaking to know that anti-asian sentiment is so is so institutionalized um that we mixed Asians have had to like invisibilize ourselves we've had to hide sure in order to like not face anti-Asian violence. Um, which like for myself growing up in a Jamaican household where being black and Asian is just so commonplace, it's like whatever. Like right. everyone's right. black and it's Chinese. Just you. It's just, right. y- just on the <laughs> It is, <laughs> So like so of course like you know, but being in an American landscape where we are so taught self-segregation we are taught to segregate our communities um the past year i think has definitely helped people understand um and really make more room i mean it still comes from a place of non-asian folks still haven't done that work to understand asian american history um which again that goes back to just how efficient White society is at erasing this history to maintain model minority myth to maintain right. the myth of adjacency to whiteness, um, and so it's it's been it's been really sad seeing, but also kind of wonderful now that the work is giving other people who are like me the space and agency to say I too am Asian American, mm. and yeah. There is a certain beauty, I think, to Asian-American and Asian-America that is so unique. It's that Asian-America is transcendent of race and racial mm-hmm. boundaries, you know, like in the Black community, we always say Blackness is expansive, but I think Asianness is transcendent. Like we transcend so many ideas about what a race should look like because, you know, Right. there's folks like me folks like you there's south asians west asians there's the pacifica well if we combine or if we think of them as in the same category because there's some pacifica folks don't right. identify yeah as part of asian america and i'm i'm see, i am unlearning that right now right <laughs> right something i i learned this year and i'm like oh like i know here in the east coast it's more conflated on the west coast it's like we are different people so um things I am unlearning too right now, but uh, particularly for Asian America, like there is something wonderfully um, beautiful about how we transcend skin color, we transcend hair texture once we are really open-minded to Asian America. Of course, knowing that these are racial categories imposed on us. And of course, recognizing that Asian America is an identity that formed out of the um uh, Third World Liberation Front with Asian American students, with Black students, with Indigenous students at UCLA, Berkeley. So, like, it's it's beautiful also recognizing that Asian America became a political identity in solidarity with other communities of color, which I just find right. really wonderful about us. So, um, yeah, the past couple of years have definitely opened the door for that conversation Mm. has opened many doors about um how do we respect asian americans in these spaces how do we learn to value asian americans outside of lenses that were imposed on us through white
0: miseducation
1: you know how are we now no longer viewing asian americans through the lens of model minority
0: love it um I love that you talk about Asian American being transcendent. I haven't heard anyone describe it like that. And I think that's absolutely right because there's so many different things that go into it. And also naming how Asian American as a political term came to be specifically out of solidarity and not even that long ago. Like we also have this young history of Asian America of what that means. That's also um, built on and a product of all of that work we talked about before that term was even a thing before we're even thinking about that talking about it's 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 built on and again the product of all of these things all of these folks who have fought and struggled and thrived and triumphed over the course of our history in the face of erasure in the face of marginalization um, in the face of being pitted against other communities to try and position us as closer to whiteness and therefore a model minority Mm -hmm. Um, you've been dropping so much knowledge Rohan I really really (laughs) get it and I can't wait for folks to be able to hear this conversation and I want to be mindful of your time as well so I only have a couple more questions for you who right now is inspiring you in the community doesn't actually doesn't even have to be in the community who right now is inspiring (laughs) you to do the work that you do and and whatever it is that that they're inspiring you from
1: oh that's such a hard question (laughs) Because like there's so many different threads, right, right, that come together to make the tapestry, right. So like, obviously, these historical figures inspire me, um, but uh, also for myself because I am such a huge fantasy fan. I love fantasy. Fantasy is such a wonderful place for for uh, political examination mm. of things. So. I've been reading so much Asian fantasy. Okay. That has been just like so <laughs> like <laughs> marvelous to not just like me feeling empowered as an Asian American, but also like um viewing things to a place of possibility. Mm,
0: love so it. like
1: um who was I just reading? I, I was just reading um Ken Liu's Dandelion Dynasty. Okay. And it's a Chinese epic fantasy that deals a lot with um, the formation of of, of a dynasty, of, of, a, of an emperor taking power. But then, like, in come these, like, colonial invaders. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I was like, I'm totally resonating because I'm like, oh, this is totally how I feel about so many things about how so many of our societies were so like in our own political struggle and income, the colonizers and just fuck everything over. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, That's been like a really inspirational piece for me because like, I'm still in a place of organizing from that space of expansive imagination and, and allowing you know, these these stories that create possibilities um to sort of like influence sure. But also, right now, I'm reading um, Nasim Jamnia's bruising of the Kilwa. And it's like a Persian fantasy about um these people who are basically surviving, like, ethnic cleansing Mm. and so they fled into another country but the other country is very xenophobic or like we don't want you here so now there's always race riots (laughs) um i'm just like oh my gosh like what a way to just politically examine and affirm our experiences um so that's been really influential to me right now
0: I love that. I love the way that we can examine different genres and forms of media and tell these stories. Again, like going back to being adopted, like we talk about in the community a lot, not having enough fictional narratives that talk about these experiences and unpack and and examine Mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. And to hear you talk about how you're examining a lot of these things in these fantasy works and I can't wait to be able to check out both of those series. Are they single books or are they series? Because um, I got I got to add to the shelves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Bruising of the Kilwa is a single book, but the um, Dandelion Dynasty is four books. Okay, uh, It's a quartet and they are a thousand pages per book. So she is a journey, but I love it. I so.
0: would expect nothing less from an epic, from a fantasy epic, at least a thousand Literally. pages per book. So I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. We'll definitely include those in the show notes too for anybody listening who wants to to dive into those as well. Last question, or actually, okay, I have two more questions. Um,
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: Second to last question is a lot of people feel a lot of different ways about Heritage Month specifically. Uh, I've written a little bit about APAM itself and how my feelings about it. Do you celebrate APAM and/or what is currently giving you joy about the community heading into this month that is meant to be celebratory and reflective of our community? Um, I do celebrate um,
1: this month. However, I also celebrate. Asian American history every month so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very much a this is the month where white people right. trying to hire me to speak which is sure. like right. Um,
0: <laughs> I'll take your money
1: <laughs> right? uh, I'm going to charge extra because I'm Asian I deserve it <laughs> like, <laughs> 100% add two, zero. add two zeros <laughs> two zeros at least um, but not after decimal point yeah please. I was just going to say
0: pre-decimal,
1: pre-decimal. <laughs> um I, I, I think this is also a time where we as Asian Americans can really examine scarcity mentality because mm. it's like, why are we only being hired or spoken to right. one month out of the year? Right. You know, why do we go back to being invisible after May 31st?
0: Right. Like,
1: <laughs> um, make it make sense, people. <laughs> so, um. While I think it's great to be like, yeah, we should have a time to really focus on our communities and hold space for us. Like, why can't we hold space all year, like year round? A
0: hundred percent. Yeah. So. I think that's a that's great me. thing about those about hair or one of the things that can be beneficial about it is we can have that conversation examined. Why are we only talking about this in May? I get that it right. was like a federal thing and then they like it was a day, then a week, then a month, like it had right. to go through this process to get even that amount of time. Right. But why are we feeling like we need to be siloed here? Why aren't we continuing that conversation before May 1st and after right. May 31st? So right. I appreciate you naming that and sharing yeah. that. Um, all right. Last question for real. (laughs) How do we as an audience, how do listeners, how do people who are hearing this conversation right now support you?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, so you can support me, uh, with money just kidding. <laughs> okay abolish money but until money is abolished so like <laughs> i'm going to survive and eat food
0: um you got to you got to
1: you got to uh but you can definitely support the blasian march at blasianmarch.org um on all platforms instagram twitter tiktok facebook uh, to see upcoming events to contribute that way um I, you can also support me personally um, on my website, Um, You'll find all my writing. I am um, accepting commissions for writing. I am accepting commissions for speaking engagements. Um, so if you like what you heard today... Please feel free to reach out to me, um, and yeah, I diary of a firebird is also my handle on all platforms.
0: Amazing! Thank you for sharing that, folks. Get out onto your computers or your 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 mobile devices, whatever you might have in front of you right now, and hire Rohan to come into <laughs> wherever space that you occupy and speak on these things. If you if you made it to this far in this conversation, you know that they've dropped so much knowledge that they have shared so much in such a short time and you also know that i'm a huge fan as well so if you've been following the show then you know that i'm bringing people in who are going to be able to address again these missing pieces of the conversation and rohan i cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down a little behind the scenes we had an earlier recording was supposed to be one of the first interviews that i did for this had some stuff come up and needed to reschedule rohan was kind enough to make that request happen. And here we are today, finally able to sit down and have (laughs) an incredible conversation. Thank you, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, this is amazing.
0: Absolutely. I really, really appreciate it. Again, this is the APAM Conversation Series. Super excited to be able to share this with you all. If you want to find anything that Rohan and I just talked about in this interview, you can do all of that in the show notes. If you want to find us, you can do that at conversationpodpiece on Instagram. And if you feel so inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're currently listening to this on, we would greatly appreciate it as well. And lastly, if you are interested in supporting the show in the future in any way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Rohan.